This is Abroad in Education, a podcast where I unpack the international suitcase by focusing on EdPats and their experiences within education. I'm your host, Tiffany Lachelle. All around the world, so fulfilling, so fulfilling, yeah, stamps on Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode. (laughs) Before I share all the deets about this week's guest, I have some amazing news. We have an intern. (laughs) One of the things that I have always aspired to do with this podcast since I created it was to create a team of folks to come together in the spirit of creativity. So I'm so excited to welcome Lane Bauer to the team. Now, Lane, she'll be working on a plethora of tasks, but primarily she'll be helping with podcast production. So, Lane, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hey, everyone. My name is Lane Bauer, and I'm a second-year student at the University of Minnesota Twin Cities studying political science and economics. I am so excited to be working with Tiffany this semester. She is amazing, but you guys already knew that. I'm also so excited to learn more about the EdPAC community, and I'm just grateful to get the chance to learn how to create and produce a podcast. Lane has already been a great asset with production, making things happen. Let me tell you, she is ready to rock and roll. (laughs) So I don't know if you all realize it, but on January 17th, Abroad in Education turned three years old. And with 53 episodes, the focus has always been about quality of the content, not quantity. Y'all know I'm a qualitative researcher. So, of course, we are coming close to the end of season three. Well, actually, this is the last episode. This is the last episode of season three. So for those of you who feel so inclined, I want to provide an opportunity for you to be able to support the show. So there's three ways that you can do this, and here's how. The first way, you can share your favorite episode with a friend on social media or with other folks who you think would enjoy the content. Now, there are hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there, and you know, with everybody staying home with the virus, you know, folks creating podcasts by the day. (laughs) But as far as the broadened education, make sure that you personally connect and direct your friends here. So the second thing you can do to support is leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your favorite episodes. Leaving a review in my mind is like a virtual round of applause, (laughs) especially if you enjoy the content. Let us know. And then the third way that you can support the show is, of course, a monetary donation. And by the way, Lane does not work for free. And because we all love Lane, a monetary donation can go toward her hard work. So here's a couple of options. Um, You can always go to buymeacoffee.com slash abroad in ed. That's A-B-R-O-A-D-I-N-E-D. You can cash app, which is dollar sign T-I-F Smith 15. Or you can PayPal at Tiffany Smith 0315. And of course, these options will be in the show notes. So I look forward to your continued support. This week's guest on the podcast is Kevin Simpson. Now, I have been wanting to get him on the show for the longest time, and finally, we were able to connect with each other. So Kevin Simpson is the creator of ALOC, which is short for the Association of International Educators and Leaders of Color. Now, on the group's Facebook page, Kevin writes, International schools proclaim internationalism and diversity. Are teachers and leaders of color well accepted in the international leadership arena? Are they encouraged to pursue leadership positions? With over a thousand members, and particularly as an affinity group for BIPOC educators, he formed the group to disrupt the face and norm of international education. With call in and call out as the call of action for the episode, Kevin is on a mission to hold the international school market accountable for bias in hiring practices and bias in policies. Now, if you are a BIPOC educator currently working or have experience working with the international school market and BIPOC is Black, Indigenous, and people of color, this is definitely a group that you want to join. 
So be sure to look him up on Facebook. Be sure to connect with Kevin. He is out here doing this work. So without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Kevin Simpson. Kevin Simpson, I'm so excited to have you on Abroad in Education today. Go ahead and say hello. Hello, hello. This is Kevin Simpson. I'm I'm (laughs) grateful to be on today. I'm excited that we finally got to make it work out because you and the activism work that you're doing and many of the things that you're bringing to the forefront is amazing. Let's talk about your own background in the international school market. Definitely. So, you know, I was in um, I was at Michigan State in graduate school and within our one of the classes I had for curriculum instruction, met a gentleman. And again, he sort of put off. We were just talking casual talk and just talking about after the summer, what we're going to do when I want to move back to the DMV, D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. And he said, oh, when I'm done, I'm going back to London. And, you know, of course, I'm like, wait a minute. (laughs) Less I want to learn. I want to know more, learn more, you know, hear more. And, you know, he just told about teaching overseas and his experience and how he got started and the application process and the different orgs and groups. And so, of course, me, I'm taking notes, you know, sort of put it in that, you know, to do one day list. A few years later, I had a mentee who said, I'm going to teach at an American school overseas in Khartoum, you know, in Africa. I think right then and there, that's when it, for me, it was that sort of reminder, pull back out those notes Mm. and, you know, check this out. You know, it was like around 2004 when I started to look after he said that, after Lenny said that. And then I started to look. I um, looked at, you know, search associates. I looked at international school services. There was a local uh, recruitment through, I think, COIS, was Council of International Schools. There was a local recruitment fair that was coming to Virginia, where I lived, of all places. Um, so I got to see some of the schools, you know, learn about schools in the United Arab Emirates, schools in Egypt and in schools in Southeast Asia and ended up going with the school that most impressed me. They were the ones that followed up. They answered questions. All of their materials were either on the website or they sent them to me. Um, So I had access. I asked it. They answered it. Um, They were like, we can jump on Skype. And so for me, that said a lot. I'm like, they're making this investment with, you know, in me and I haven't even started working there. I'm not even hired. I'm just like looking at them and the others and it was there was no comparison. They were light years ahead of what the other schools were doing, you know, and everything that they said, they delivered on. So they said, when you arrive, we'll give you location money. We will have, you know, three different housing agents who you, they will take you around to figure out which house you want. You know, you will learn the language. We have a class. If you want to continue on, we have staff who will teach you the language. You know, we will make sure that you have an orientation, being new to the country. You'll come in advance everyone. Everything they said, they delivered on. Your airfare, your, your insurance, work visa, permits, everything you needed, we will provide. And they did it 100%. You know, and I'm grateful to this day for that being my first experience overseas. Not everybody has that experience. And, um, you know, shout out always to John Ritter, Jody Nelson, because, again, they made sure that my transition from Virginia and the U.S. to Vientiane Lao was very seamless and smooth. See, I love that. It's two things that I want to touch on, because you said that um, when you found out about international teaching opportunities, it was through someone who had one, had already done it, and then two, someone who was going to do it, who reminded you, oh yeah, I want to do that too. I've been playing with this uh, notion of influencers and the ways that, I mean, I guess it is, it's word of mouth, but then it's also a lot to do with technology in the 21st century to be able to see somebody's social media page, you know, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, like, oh, I didn't know this was a thing. And even like podcasting now, folks are talking about, you know, ability to teach abroad in all these countries. So I know that's one of the reasons why I say people are taking advantage of it because Mm -hmm. of all of these influencers like, hey, it's safe here, y'all. Come on over. (laughs) Right. (laughs) We have malls. There are restaurants. I mean, all those things that people sort of wonder because, again, they don't know because they're trying to, in their head, visualize if I were to move there, if I were to live there, not visit, what would that look like? What would that expect exactly. day-to-day experience be like and look like? Exactly. And that's the other thing. I'm I'm excited to know that, you know, what was offered to you in your initial contract is what you got because my experience was different in the fact that I actually, my first placement was not the ideal placement. 
And because I had such an interesting first placement, my second placement was like, oh, this ain't nothing. Like, <laughs> Y'all haven't seen, you know, <laughs> much of the issues. This is fine. So that was my Morocco compared to um, UAE. It, it's amazing that, you know, when you find a good school who invests in you, who sees your skills, who sees your values, you know, lay out the red carpet. I think that's amazing. And it's probably telling about this association that you created, too, because you have folks taking care of you. Exactly. And I mean, that, that's the big thing is like, and I always say like, we, we have to take care of people, especially, you know, internationally. I mean, cause you're thinking about what people are giving up and leaving behind, yeah. you know, as you're going through those, you know, beginnings, endings and transitions, cause it's a period that you go through, you know, and you're wanting, you know, that life that you had, or you wanting those, it's, it's a big giving up, you know? So it's, um, and that's my thing is like making sure that as people are transitioning, that that support is there that they see people who look like them, mm -hmm. that they learn about their culture. Um, Cause you could easily walk into these ivory towers and gates of these international schools, speak English, you know, be around people who, you know, might not look like you, but they're similar in values that are from all over and not really be engaged and invested in the community where you live, you know? And for me, that wasn't the case. So it was really getting out and getting into Vientiane, into Laos and getting around to the different provinces around and getting to learn, you know, traveling to Bang Vieng, Pak Sai, all over Savannah Ket, and getting familiar with the culture, using the language that I did have, yeah. getting lost. I mean, it was just, <laughs> it really was a, a, a phenomenal two years of learning. Learning that coming to know that what I learned in history and the perspective that I was taught did not match what was experienced exactly. by someone who was, you know, born and raised in Laos, yeah. you know? And um, so it was, I think it was, it was that, you know, initial, that just that eye opener and that, that heart and mind and head opener to, there are so many things that you just don't know, you know? And if you're willing to be open and learn, all oh, the places you'll go, <laughs> you I, know? I, I love it. I love it. Okay. So the Association of International Educators and Leaders of Color is devoted to amplifying the work of international educators and leaders of color with focus on advocacy, learning, and research. You created this organization. Let's talk about why. Where did this come from? Three years ago, almost four, I was asked to serve as a reference for a colleague. High will, high skill from the U.S., she was seeking to apply for leadership positions, uh, so the transition from, and she was already a higher up at an international school okay. in the Middle East. And so she was looking at to shift from that into more head of school position and looking around the world, still looking in the Middle East. And so she asked me to serve as her reference. And I was like, okay, definitely I'll serve as your reference. I've been working with you. I know you for five, six years. So then I think we, we checked in. Um, she went to a conference. And she sort of had an interaction with somebody that was affiliated with schools that she was applying for. When I checked in with her after the conference, she said she was told not to apply because they wanted a British man. They wanted a white man for that position. So don't apply. And she's a black woman. And so when she said that, it literally, I mean, for me, it was like a flash because I had so many colleagues that I interacted with that were just like, you know, because I'm from this country, because of my accent, because of my gender, because of my race, mm -hmm. I've been denied. I can't even, I haven't been able to access. I can't even apply for certain things. And that was, I'm going to be honest, that was the the straw that broke the camel, the, the back, you yeah. know, period, point blank. And that for me, I was just like, something has to be done about it. I mean, there's too much of this going on. It's been going on consistently. And out of that, you know, I did, it literally just started a affinity group on Facebook, um, invited others, and it was just, again, a place and a space where people can share just opportunities, but also a place and space where people around the world can just look and see and just call, again, kind of calling in and calling out things that they hear, things that they experience, mm -hmm. um, because I felt like even some colleagues who I know who have been told, uh, well, we normally don't hire Black people to work here at an international school, or they normally don't have Black leaders, like all this stuff that people, again, have been told, had experienced trauma that had been going on but really didn't have a space and a place to, to vent, to get stuff out. 
Um, and so that's where, you know, this sort of, at least the Finney group, because I'm tired, y'all. <laughs> like, like no more, no more of this. You know, I'm like, I done worked in 25 countries, been in different places and spaces. You know, I done had the stairs and had the looks done. You know, the, who are you? Who do you know? Yeah. You know, even some of the people come up and roll to me looking like, where did you come from? You know, so it's like, even my own experience that I had, I mean, all of that stuff sort of like, and I was at that place in that, that, that place in that time where, I was tired too. I was in an international school leadership program where I, in my mind, I was thinking, oh, I want to sort of shift into maybe potentially becoming a principal or head of international school. But then I'm like, if she's facing this and I know her background and the difference is I'm a male, but I'm, you know, I'm black like her, but I'm a male. So what am I going to face? And it's like, what are others facing? Who else has been deterred and turned away from these types of opportunities, even though they have the skill set, they have the background, they have everything and beyond yeah. when it comes to whatever is on the, the description for the position. And again, for me, it was like no more. Can't do this. Not gonna be not gonna even listen to this, you know, these statements of the elephant in the room or um, the silent treatment, you know, mm-hmm. things that I experienced in the international school leadership program as, you know, I sort of and a few of us start to question why we only have one person teaching all the different classes. Shouldn't we be learning from different people? And then when you pull on the different people, they all look the same. You know, you bring other people in, they all look the same. But then again, I'm going to question that. Right. And I think that was the thing, being comfortable, challenging things as they are. Right. And I see, see, I, I'm, I'm questioning because, you know, I've, I've had the privilege to be able to watch from the outskirts and, you know, be part of your social media and just kind of, you know, watching you create these different spaces, I'll say, for folks to come in, not only to, like you're saying, share different opportunities, but also to call things out. You know, as I'm saying this out loud, I guess it is both because in my mind, I'm not, I'll be honest, before I started following your work, I wasn't even thinking about diversity in school leaders, right? In international schools. I was more so set, and I still am very much set on where are the black teachers? And then you get like these essential uh, experiences where like for me, all those black folks that were in Abu Dhabi, you know, UAE, and and maybe that was even short lived because I don't know what it looks like now, but I was still very much stuck at us getting access to teaching positions. And now, you know, many of the questions that you have been setting out and then other folks who are part of the association as well, I finally see it. And it's one, I, I, I never questioned it because most of the time you're right. If you're looking at a director, if you're looking at it, a, at a principal, regardless of if, if it's elementary, if it's secondary, you know, I beat whatever, it's usually going to be someone of white skin and nationalities may change, but that director is most oftentimes a white man. Yeah, Most 90 plus percent. Times. So white man, 90 plus percent, especially at because we look specifically at the um, American schools. So those state department schools that are situated all over the world. Okay. And that's what we found that it was over 90 percent white men, period. That's what the data show. We looked and you know, looked at the data, looked at all those different schools. But there's thousands of schools around the world internationally. And there's, again, different from Indian curriculum to British curriculum, IB. But we want to look specifically at the American curriculum yeah. and look and see those schools that are situated overseas and look and see what does that data show when it came to gender, when it came to race, because, you know, the diversity cloud had a report come out. And so for us, we looked and saw, and we we're like, okay, this more or less focused on gender. But then when you saw some of the comments, you're now talking about race. So it was like, which one is it? Because part of that report, you said that you really couldn't define and tell, come up with a definition, which we, we questioned. And I know I questioned before it even came out because I questioned who wrote it, who was invited, who wasn't invited. And then this piece around how we can't really talk about race I'm like, well, why couldn't we talk about race? Because I know plenty of NGOs who talk about race. UNICEF talks about race, World Care, Give, Plan. Everyone else talks about race, but we chose not to talk mm, about race. Mm, you know, and it was like, mm. okay, we choose not to talk about it. Are you choosing because you don't want to talk about it? And see, this is the reason why I'm so enamored by the work that you're doing. And I, I, I definitely want to give space because I know not too long ago in November, you were able to host your uh, online conference in collaboration with women of color in English language teaching. Tell me about some of the feedback that you got from the conference. Wow. When I say just looking and seeing people sending comments back saying like this, this was it. This was the best. You know, when I look at 2020, this is what you, what, you know, you all, you know, created and what you put together and what I attended, it exceeded, you know, expectations. 
that these are the types of conversations that need to consistently go on. This, you know, and I think that's what, in a nutshell, a lot of the feedback said, you know, in terms of like their, their own learning, saying that the amount of information I learned about Filipino history from Yvette, the amount of information or my thinking again around like the indigenous people and population and how they are excluded, even not only in a U.S. context, also in an international yeah, context, yeah. have voices of youth question and put forth their ideas, you know, if they have that background. And if you look at even going on the other flip side, KDSL Global, look at the company and you look closely at it. You know, we've collaborated with Mona. We've collaborated with Ashley and Rashina. So even by design, a lot of that is me taking a step back and Octavia and Sonia and letting them shine. Because when I look along the race and the gender, seeing that, not seeing the data, like, again, that it's so centered on white men leading these schools. And again, really questioning that and challenging that. Because for us, it's like, how do we, like Amanda Bash said, chip away at that. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Some, Part of that is looking at that entire ecosystem yeah. from recruitment to international school leadership programs to associations to all things. I do want to come back to this. Um, call, what are you saying? You're saying call in and call out. I definitely want to come back to that. But you have mentioned KDSL Global. I am excited about the advocacy work that you're doing. And I really want to use this platform to let folks know, one, what are some of the, what's the advocacy work that's that's being done? And then two, how can other folks start to come in and be part of it? So I did get a chance to look at your other, um, I want to say organization, because this is more so about training leaders of color, uh, supporting leaders of color, um, what is it called? Consulting with different schools to, so talk a little bit about that, because I think that's amazing work as well. Yeah, so KDSL Global, I mean, that started, we went from KDSL USA in 2007 to then shifting over to um, being based out of Dubai and setting up in 2013. And a lot of that back then was, again, partnering with American curriculum schools all over the world, anywhere from um, supporting school improvement, school startup, professional development, um, you know, anything with learning, training, and then even mentoring behind the scenes, education entrepreneurs. So that's sort of been like the big three sort of areas of focus um, that we've did for the last um, seven years, sort of just just globally all over the world. But then on me, on my side, again, it was making sure that because I started off solo, you know, start off by myself. And then when it came at time where there was a period of growth, when, it, you know, there was a necessity of bringing in, you know, managers that were learning, bringing in freelance consultants. It was really thinking, again, the interactions that I had, people who I always constantly interacted with and who I didn't see in that mm-hmm. space. And so, again, being intentional and bringing in folks um, who looked like me, folks who didn't look like me, but folks who could do the work and could deliver um, and giving them that place and that space to shine and go and run and again, do what they could do. Um, and so part of that was built out to this, you know, KSL Global Fellowship Program, which were like educators situated. So we have two fellows now, one in Ghana, one in Nigeria. We had two in the UAE the year before, one in Jordan when we did it in the first year. Mm-hmm. But again, giving educators that opportunity to, you know, take on um, either a product or service that they want to do and put out, you know, into the ed- international education space and just to thrive, you know, and I think that was, um, that's always been a big thing. And as I've sort of shifted to more an advisory role, because that's really where I've sort of shifted so behind the scenes advisory um, and focus more on like ALOC, it is still continuing to see how can I, you know, serve and when people are interested in doing things, how can I, who do I know? Who have I connected with? How can I connect and, you know, help be of help to them in any way, shape or form? Wow. I love it. I love it. It really is so much about a connector. I I heard this phrase and I think it's amazing because, you know, when you have vocabulary to call stuff out, it just makes it easier to call stuff out. So it's this phrase, um, opportunity hoarding. And how when folks learn about opportunities, it's like, I'm going to keep this to myself because it's only five folks that's going to get selected to the left. (laughs) But it sounds like the work that you're doing is more so about here are the opportunities. Here's the folks to connect with. You know, why is it just me here? Let me bring in the folks that I know. So I'd love that. 
goodness, yeah. I love it. Aspect of a lock too. I mean, you see that we see people sharing. I think that's the thing. Because yeah. interesting when we got started, people was like, "Can I share?" I'm like, "Please share." We want people to share. You know, when yeah. you hear of an opportunity, please share. Because it's like the more we share, the more we get comfortable doing that. Um, and I know what you mean because I've been in those opportunity hoarding situations or scenarios where people, you know, people are not going to share. You know, it's just <laughs> like you know. But I've always been that one where I want to bring people together. Yeah. You know, around something that we all have in common. Why, what make what sense would it make to only have me or two or three of us in the room? Making sure that if we have that access, that we provide it. You yeah. know, if I have access to the people or resources that, you know, yes, I'll introduce you. You know, yeah, I'll make sure that, you know, oh, I know such and such that's over there. Let me um, connect you, you know, See, and I that love was it. That. And if you think about it, honestly, it usually is once one person gets in, bring it's opportunity to bring more Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Oh, I love it. So I do. I want to sit for a little bit and talk about some of the pressing issues that have been happening in the international school market, because with me following um, much of the social media, you know, folks showing all types of receipts, I am very well up to date with a pressing issue that has been happening and it, it's about um, diversifying not only who shows up in leadership and in teaching positions, but also recruitment agencies who are continuing to do these bias procedures and not questioning their own stuff. And, you know, I don't even have all the words to say it. So I would love to give you space. Let's have this conversation. Definitely. I think so, you know, reflecting back, you know, from the latter part of spring, you know, when we saw what transpired, you know, on video with George Floyd. Yeah. And I'm not going to play. I, I honestly said it was amazing how many people woke up and realized that they were white, as though white never existed, <laughs> as though they had never looked in the mirror, as though they were not familiar with race. But you did see this flood, you know, of statements that came out left and right. Yeah. You saw them come out from international schools. You saw them come out from recruitment agencies. You saw them come out from accreditation agencies, from the IB to Cognia. I know put something out recently to um, international school services to search associates. And I don't know, you know, if there was someone there because in some of these spaces, there's no one there that looks like us. Yeah. So I'm gonna be blunt and and frank with it. I'm surprised. So, I'm surprised you said some because I don't know <laughs> if there's one. Give us an example of what yeah. would what would the one be where it's actually diverse right. on the leadership scene, especially on the leadership side. Because yeah. if you're gonna put something out there, we know that's gonna come from you know you might have some people on staff that are like nudging you. But again, when I think about leadership teams, boards, and a lot of these organizations, no, yeah, black. No, like it's very rare that I've seen someone. I think on international school services, I've seen like one black person on a board. Recent. But. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. We should start it. Let me stop too, because there is the young young woman who uh, founded a school in Kuwait. She's out there too. She's in ISS as well, or at least part of the conversation okay yeah and and on the board right board of um one of the uh uh, international education associations you know when that flood came out you know you saw like you said all of a sudden receipts started to come back you know in the form of petitions letters tweets facebook posts and it was interesting to see that it wasn't only teachers there were parents there were current scholars at those schools there was alumni. So it was just like, oh, so Black Lives Matter now? Because when I was at the school, this happened. You know, so again, you just saw this outpouring of people sharing their experiences connected with those organizations. Yeah. It was one of those, why are you saying something now? Because your words don't match your actions. Yeah. You know, historically, your actions have not shown and demonstrated that there's this level of care and concern when it comes to people who look like me, when it comes to um, ensuring that people who look like me are able to advance and have access to opportunities. 
a lot of us who were like connected. Did you see what they just said? I mean, because that's what was happening on the side. There was some sideline conversations. Like, did you see this tweet? And I'm not gonna play. I literally was waiting for some organizations to respond and say something, because me, I'm like, all of y'all really want to be performing, right? Do you really want to be performing right now? Because you have like the emotional side of it. You had, because I mean, it went from Alma Aubrey and I'm a runner, and then you, you know, you go, you know, it's Brianna Taylor, it's George. Pl- there was just like this, just never ending, yeah. you know, from this year. And then in the midst of pandemic exactly you know we got pandemic COVID but it's like racism has always been a pandemic double pandemic and then some folks triple pandemic I think it was just sort of compounded got so heavy and so quick that you know people were like I need space and I'm I'm very comfortable calling out right now you know and people who I mean you have people who are like I don't know if I should do this because I don't want to lose my job you know what ifs and I'm like I get that and I understand that but it definitely was a necessity. And I mean, on our side, we were in full support of people who were comfortable calling in, calling out organizations, you know. And it, it sounds it sounds like you're saying it, but but do this. Unpack what call in and call out. Like, what, what does that actually look like? Yeah, so call in is like, you know, because I think that's the big thing, too, is when something happens or when you see, because my thing has always been when you see something, say something. But if you saying something bring it to us you know we'll look at it we'll think about it we'll talk with you you know and we might say it you know we won't say your name or you brought it to us but we'll we will say something um because calling out is you know basically letting someone know whether it's an individual organization that what you said and what you did is unacceptable it is not to be tolerated and it needs to be disrupted you know interrupted no i don't want that harm or that trauma to persist beyond what i heard and it's going to, you know, calling out is going to be uncomfortable. That's the big thing. And I always say people need to get used to being uncomfortable when it comes to these conversations. Um, again, a lot of times it's silence. Let me say nothing. Um, so that, you know, that calling out is uncomfortable because it could it could be public. So others are going to see and hear. So you might be in that hashtag. You, you know, we might at you. You know, it's going to be public. So people are going to see it. You know, someone can snap a picture of it. And then again, like I said, you might respond, you might not respond because depending on position and, you know, who you are, you know, you might say, okay, we're just not going to say anything. We might take it back to our leadership, see if we want to address it, or we might try to sort of individually address it with them to see what we can do. And I think when I like to do the calling in, it's more or less, let me ask a question. You know, I just want clarity, you know, because I'm noticing that you're doing this international panel and everybody on that panel looks the same. (laughs) You saying that only these people are the ones that can speak on that topic? Um, who was behind that? Who designed this? Who was invited? You know, who wasn't invited? Uh, what's the makeup of the group? You know, so again, I have questions. So I'm seeking See, to understand. I want to know more. Yeah, so, and I, I think it's dope. It makes sense. Yeah, it, it's absolutely dope. Because when I think about, when I think about just like normal policies that people are familiar with, say, for instance, if there's a vacancy, right? Whether it's a K through 12 school, whether it's a corporate organization, whatever. Usually there's like a records and stuff that have been tracked as far as like one, where did you even post this vacancy before you decided, you know, who you were going to choose as candidates first, right? And then what was the process of interviewing? How did you get to, you know, that one that one, you know, selection, right? And and who was involved in this selection process, right? So these are like normal policies at that happen at universities, right? That happen at different I don't know if they're happening at K through 12 schools. I don't know or or where. But I think you're absolutely right. One of the things that I've learned in the international school space is how to advocate for myself, right? So I will talk to somebody crazy real quick. Who are you talking to? Absolutely not. Am I going to do it? No. And here's why, you know? So I know how to advocate for myself because I've seen the BS. But when it comes to advocating in the sense for leaders and teachers of color globally, that is a different concept. And and not in and, and, and doing so knowing that I'm not only changing my own experience, I'm changing the experiences for the folks that, you know, we're inspiring through this podcast, that you're inspiring through your, you know, association. Like you said, you were just on a call with a young brother before this. This work is for them, you know? (laughs) It's for that next, that next generation. And that's, I think that's the thing too. It's like, it's not waiting five and 10 and three years. It's not looking and reading your statement. It's what is your action, you know? Because you can right now, 
you know, you invested so heavily in either associates and leadership teams, you can make a change right now. You know it's a problem. Look across. If people have told you and you decide not to address what they have told you, people want to, you know, let's have a committee. Because we know those committees, that's another way of saying, let's take time and explore and do. No, no, no. We don't need to do that. You know, I mean, eight out of eight all look the same. No, the data, no. Is, the data is individual. The picture shows what, you know, so I don't need to do additional research and findings and I don't need to report. So let's, let's do this call in, call out right now. We're going to do a grapple session. Okay. And it's not even, um, we don't even have to be anonymous because the information is there. So particularly let's talk about search associates because they have had a whole flashlight on them and everything that they're doing. So I, re- I I got a chance to read recently that they they shared this statement basically saying we realize some of the practices as far as what we're doing is bias. You know, we've, we've created these circles and the CEO is also part of these circles, share circles where folks are talking about their experiences with international schools. This is the work that we're potentially doing in the future, right? So being very transparent, like this is what we're doing in-house. Okay, so let's talk about this for a second. So one, the issue, we'll talk about that. And then two, potential solutions. Like what do we want to see? Okay, so let's start with the issue. What's the issue? So obviously with them, you know, they had, there was a, a, a letter that came out. Um, and I forget the young lady's name, but she wrote about her experience, you know, with Search Associates. Um, yeah. And it, it ran rampant, you know, across um, different outlets throughout the summer. Um, and I believe it was like um, something along the lines like, why do Black Lives Matter now? Well, well, didn't it start with them having policies where you have to put your picture on your resume for schools to look? Yes. Yeah. So it was the pictures. And that recently was brought up to me again recently because I know I put a tweet because, you know, organizations said, oh, we'll do away with the English language requirement and we'll do away with the having to post the pictures. Now, have schools adopted that? And see, that was the thing because I'm hearing from people from schools who are saying, that these pictures are still on these CBs and these resumes that are coming in. So again, it, it lets me know like, okay, so you said it, but how are you enforcing it? How are you following up? How are you ensuring that it's actually being done? That it would be so ever present. If you have made this change and a shift, it should be so known by all of your schools, all of your, you know, all those candidates and your, you know, your associates that this is something that's so that message should be consistent across. It should be spread throughout. And I'm not going to play. Someone just snapped some pictures, sent me some samples oh. that have pictures sitting right on there and said, <laughs> I could have, you know, I thought that there was this change in the shift. I'm getting all these resumes yeah, with these pictures. Don't tell it. And I want to be clear. I want to be clear because I also have been, you know, seeing a lot of the the pressure that's been put on search associates. And a lot of folks do question, you know, what's the big deal about search when there's so many different recruitment agencies out there. I realize with search is one of the benefits that they have is with these associates that they have. These are top tier schools. But with search associates, it's like a good old boys club. And they have been working together, like the CEO basically, you know, inherited this company from her father. So they have been having these relationships with these top schools where the benefits, you know, when your paychecks show up on time, where you're working with, you know, kids that are actually getting recruited to go to these Ivy Leagues. So they are gatekeepers, not just for students, not just for parents, but also for the teachers, you know, that that are coming in there. So the whole conversation about having more folks of color, you know, particular schools saying, well, we only want white teachers who have this this language, who come from this country, or even having quotas. You know, we'll only have this many teachers of color once you've reached that quota. I read that blog article and they were like, hey, we had three. We already got our three. We good. <laughs> Shut it down. We only want white such and such. I was feeling sorry for Serge. Like, leave them alone. Why y'all steady picking on them? But when I realized what it means to work with them and then a lot of the bias and and policies and and different things that they're letting schools get by with because exactly what you're saying it's the schools who have particular wants search is just the liaison and if they're going to continue to do it then you know is the question stop dealing with it or is the solution let's call you out so you can get your practices together 
Exactly. And ensure that anything that you provide and any requirements you have for these schools matches and mirror. So it shouldn't just be search associates, diversity, equity, inclusion, changes in policies. Your mission and vision and values aligns with that. Guess what? Shouldn't you be seeking to align that that same, those same vision, mission, values should align with those schools. That's why you saw Joel and others start to question and call in accreditation. Because accreditation, you think about accreditation, schools have to be accredited. And so when you think of schools that are being accredited every, you know, depending on their period, three to five to 10 years, mm-hmm. there's certain requirements. And so um, in talking to Joel, you know, for him, it's just like, this is a child protection issue. You know, if you have somebody working at the school, but their Mm. values or they are mistreating staff, mistreating scholars based on their race, based on gender, sexual orientation, any of these features. When you look at all those comments that are coming out from alumni and from parents, you know, he's like, these are some deep issues, you know, that clearly have not been dealt with and people are comfortable, you know, putting them out there. And so... You know, reflecting on that, it's like schools have to be accredited. Um, There are certain practices that they have to show and demonstrate. It would make sense that when it comes to vision, mission, values, especially schools that are saying, we're not going to tolerate this. We're going to make sure that we, again, because your words are saying what you're going to do, what you're going to do, what you're going to do. So how are we going to make sure that what you said matches what you do? Thinking and talking with Joe, it would make sense to look at accreditations. How are accreditations impacting um, making sure that you know non-discriminatory practices are in place that was you know the route that he took he said i really want to ensure and that's the road that's the sort of work that they're doing now with council international school so angeline joe uh, joe and um, joel and nunana from alock have been on a committee where they're looking at their accreditation standards and seeing how to ensure that through the lens of child protection that matters when it comes to anti-racism are embedded diversity, act, inclusion, and justice. I'm anti-racist. I read a book. I went to a workshop and I went to a pocket. No, it's not about that. <laughs> it's like, how are you consistently demonstrating work that shows that you're, you're, you're really solely focused in ensuring that it's, you know, it's an all when it comes to making sure that people aren't discounted and disregarded. So, um, yeah. but yeah, I think that's, that's been the shift. And again, it's been a chipping because it's, it's, like I said, it's big, it's recruitment, yeah, yeah. it's boards, yeah. it's associations. Because we can make as much noise as we want to. But then again, there's a lot of pulling and bringing in people who are allies, people who, you know, who we know, who, you know, once we find and see, oh, this school leader here is interested in ensuring that, you know, his staff is trained appropriately and it's ongoing, not just can you come over here and do a webinar? Can you know who can you suggest? So we're starting again to see a lot of schools. You're starting to see, excuse me, diversity, equity, inclusion positions in it. Who's posted? Yeah. You didn't see that last year. You didn't see that two years ago, three, four, five years ago. So you're starting to see that a lot more. Um, and again, that's speaking volumes and it's saying it's saying a lot. It's saying where those schools are and what they need. Um, you're seeing this influx of folks join diversity collaborative. You saw an influx of folks, you know, wanting to get into our affinity group and us having to say that Facebook is an affinity group. You know, you can join as a member, but Facebook is a is an yeah. affinity group. Yeah. You know, it will stay an affinity group so that we have a place in space. Um, when topics and issues come up that we want to talk about, yeah. you know, freely, openly, without someone wondering who's in here, you know, right. I'm going to take this back and <laughs> share with my school, you know, and then my job's in danger because I've been called into the office, you know, so no, there'll be none of that. Yeah. And that's so, real. Unfortunately, that's real. Very real. Well, first of all, I, I have to keep reiterating. I love the work that you're doing. I love the advocacy. I love the folks that you're bringing in. And I, I personally have to thank you as well, because many of the things that I'm doing, thank you for sharing them. Thank you for, you know, putting me out there as well. Um, I am in the same space as far as collaborating with folks who are in this with us. And I think the beautiful thing is we all come from different backgrounds. We're all coming from, you know, different expertise. And to put us all in the room, I'm just like, amazing. Absolutely amazing. Exactly. <laughs> and for folks at all levels, I mean, from early years to, to higher ed, I think yeah. that's the most powerful too. People who are consultants and people just in all walks, I mean, whether they're consulting or they're at, you know, schools, you have that wealth of folks and you have, you know, people who are doing something that someone else wants to do. Someone who's a coach and someone else wants to be one. Someone who's a principal, someone wants to be one or over curriculum. I mean, that's, again, the beauty of it. 
So it's, when we're talking, or at least you, when you're talking about, you know, creating spaces, um, I want to give you time to talk about some of the upcoming events that <laughs> that 2021 is about to roll out. You have a whole list of everything. So I'll let you just kind of spit it out. Definitely. So we're excited. Our um, and something I didn't even mention earlier, our Dr. Ashley Hazelwood, she is our fellow at ALOC. She's going to be doing, taking up uh, a lot of the research. So some of the research that we're going to be unfolding, um, a lot of this will be through similar to what we did when we put out um, the Who Leads last year in 2019 um, and the findings that was majority white men in those American curriculum schools. We're going to be looking again at Who Leads from 2020 to 2021. So who was selected to lead international schools over the course of this year? Because hmm. again, that's data. So as we look and see over the years, how is that shifting? Because then we're going to go back to the recruitment agency agencies and say here you go so we can look and see search iss all the groups here's the data this is what this show what are we going to do about it because this is again international schools we know that international schools we can look at all the different flags that fly beautifully across but if those scholars never ever see somebody who looks like them what message are you sending they only see a white man in a leadership position when they look at the history of the school and i've been in some schools where they beautifully display who has been the leader from 1930 <laughs> to today. I know. I know. The same. Yeah, you know? you're right. You're right. So that's going to be one thing that she's going to be pulling out the who leads. Um, another thing, we have a, a data guy who reached out to us. He is going to be working also with um, our intern, Meher, and a fellow on, again, taking all those statements. Remember all those different groups yeah. and orgs made all those statements? Yeah, the you racial know, statement. The matters, racial justice. Mm-hmm. Yeah be looking at that and how do you track and trace so if a group said in may or june that they said something about what they're going to be doing how do you how do you trade how do you monitor that how do you track that so you said this in may what has transpired since may what have you did to prove what have you did internally as an organization what have you did externally who have you invested in yeah you know you know again so that would really get at was it performative or at what level of seriousness were you so we're excited about some of that That'll be up and coming in the new year. Um, but we also have, and again, this came out of why there are so few um, Black international school uh, leaders. We had people that watched the recording we posted and then reached out and said, you know, it would be great to have more Black women gathering in a space, you know, to share. And so we're excited. Mona and Nadine are going to sort of like, I won't say sort of spearhead. So Nadine was at the American School of Dubai and at other schools with gyms and she was with um, another school she was a head of school she was um, assistant head um, Mona's now in uh, Dominican Republican but they're gonna um, be working on that space the new space being created for black women educators and leaders in international schools around the world yeah. with a range of different topics so they sort of started just again just put draft topics around like peer mentoring curriculum balancing um, intersectionality resource for interviews uh, sponsorships and things of that nature but that's going to be coming up in 2021 and then we're of course going to start January off in no other way shape or form with community visioning but our big question over that the course of that time together is going to be what will it take to end racism and discrimination in the international school ecosystem Amen. let's get real and let's start the let's start the year off with that conversation no statements what will it take what do we collectively all of us have to do you know. And I wonder too, Kevin, that's a that's an amazing question. And I also would be interested in knowing what is people's perceptions of what racism and discrimination looks like in different countries. And and in the staff, you know. I that that's amazing. We're off with that. Okay. Um, reflecting on sort of where we've been, where we're at, and where we are going. Amen. Who's on board? And again, I think for us, it's not about, you know, because th- I've noticed that too, people. I'm an ally. It's not even about that. Just do some work. Like, period. Do some work. You sitting at a table and everybody at the table white, what you going to do? <laughs> you know what I mean? You're going to sit there comfortably? You're going like, to ask some questions. Wait, but Kevin, ain't, ain't that what we done done? Look, ain't that what we done did all these years? Come on. <laughs> So maybe that's the question too. We got to make a toolkit. Like what happens if you sitting at the table and everybody white? How do we make them uncomfortable? And that's the thing. So, cause I know some, I know some white people who are agitators. I know some of them who are agitators and I'm sure they will be here. And that's our thing, but there needs to be more. And I don't need you to say I'm an ally or I'm a co-conspirator. Just do some work. Yeah. I don't need, you don't need a title. I don't do titles. Work. That's your title. Work. You know what I mean? Amen. And consistently work. <laughs> 
wherever you go work. Um, so that's, you know, how we're jumping off. And of course, uh, like you were talking uh, earlier when we were, uh, before we got on, Marla Hunter and I are yeah. a part of the Art of Advocacy, which is a virtual summit with Dr. Uh, Sheldon Eakins of the Leading Equity Center. So we're excited. Marla and I sit down and we literally, our thing, when we talk about it, we, we were like, we don't want to, we're like, we don't want slides. You know, we don't want, you know, for Marla and I, we're like, we want a conversation. Ooh. You know, on a real talk. And so out of that, sitting there and having that real talk, it was a reflection on our experiences, a reflection on what we've seen, heard of others. And it, we came up with persisting as an international educator and leader of color. That's the topic that we ended up having a conversation about, you know, through our time, through our experiences around the world. And it was great. You know, it was just great to just reflect and um, just to let loose and to laugh and to to pause, you know, just based on what we've seen, heard, experienced, but also what we, from others, what they um, share with us. So we're excited to be a part of that. I so. love it. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, like I said in the beginning, the purpose of this entire episode was to give you space to use this platform to talk to folks who you know, are out in the international school market, those who are interested in coming in. For those of you who are out there, get involved with ALOC on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, <laughs> all across social media. You have to get involved. Definitely. And again, I think that's our thing. And one thing that we, we're doing too, and um, we'll have to get your story too, uh, Tiffany, we have been sitting down just one-on-one with different leaders and educators of color from around the world and collecting their stories. So almost like an oral history yeah. and they can enter in wherever they want to. It could be from when I apply, when I first worked, they just enter in and we sit and talk for 30 minutes and this is going to be audios that we collect and those will be added to the website at some point. So I think we have about yeah. 12 so far, but we're going to collect as many as possible. That's going to be ongoing. So just each month talking to as many people who worked around. So people, again, can hear, can hear those stories, hear those voices. People just sort of enter in and share their story, their experience, wherever they have worked, led, counseled around the world. Oh my goodness. I love it. I love it. And yes, I would love to share my story. Well, Kevin Simpson, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for, you know, sharing all these different resources. Thank you for doing the work that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you again for the opportunity just to share and reflect. A Broad Education is created by Tiffany Michelle Smith. Lady Justice, the song that you're listening to, was written and produced by Rillionaire Dreams. You can get his Postcards album on SoundCloud. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you download your favorite podcast. Let's keep the conversation going and follow me on Instagram at abroad underscore I-N underscore E-D. And you can also access the website at abroadeneducation.com.